Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast. Back with you early this week and for the first time of two separate drops as we come to the sharp end of this World Cup. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is our transfer guru, World Cup guru, fantasy football guru, Mr. <laughs> Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not England guru anymore because we're gone. No. We are RIP England. Very sad day. Uh, the World Cup's finished now as far as I'm concerned. Don't know why I'm even here, mate. Uh, not watching it anymore. It's finished. He's had enough. He's it's had done. enough. It's done. Uh, see, see you in 2026. Exactly. Well, just the two of us today because Sam is otherwise occupied. But we thought it would be a good thing to do to get ourselves a little yep. bit of a semi-final preview ahead of two big games this week. Tuesday sees Argentina play Croatia and Wednesday sees France play Morocco. And I think many people would have lined that one up. Although I've got to say this, and I've said it on a couple of things, hmm. Sammy Leto predicted this semi-final. <laughs> and he also predicted that the other semi-final would be Cameroon against Senegal. So there is an element of it that you have to take with a slight pinch of salt. But you know what? He did predict this. So I've got to give him some credit where it's due. Um, we're going to talk about various bits of Bob's Dean. You're going to rank them four to one. Um, not all the good it'll do, considering Sam's ranking. It means nothing all, at this point, what was it, it? Eight, seven, and six all through... All through in the, in the semi-finals from his yeah. quarter-final rankings, yeah. um, and we're going to talk about some positives and negatives for each side as well in yeah. part two. But before we do any of that, I thought it'd be probably you know poignant to get your thoughts on on the weekend. I did a podcast straight afterwards over on mm. our Patreon. Yeah. It was a solo podcast, and I just talked about yeah, the England game here on my own. Um, it was yeah. an, an interesting experience. Uh, the link as ever. The link is Someone ever. Someone didn't actually care. Yeah, exactly. The link is ever <laughs> in the description to this podcast. If you fancy coming to join us over on Patreon, although World Cup Daily is coming to a close, we have plenty planned, CJ, for the new transfer year. Transfer by daily or something. Transfer, yeah. Exactly. Transfer daily. I don't know if I'm so brave enough to do that. Still fun, still fun to be had yeah, over we'll on our Patreon and the Christmas specials, of course, as well. Um, but yeah, how were you on? How were you on Saturday? How honestly, how like feel? I was, I was like, look, I was so like level headed about it. I was so obviously, I, like it's very frustrating to miss the pen, but like you come away from it and you're like, well, what did we want from this game? You wanted to be competitive, you wanted the chance to win, and you had it all. Like we were the better team probably um france had as many good chances to score but like we were we had a good control of the game yeah. we had the chance to score the penalty that makes it 2-2 with 10 minutes left or whatever and we missed it and that's all it is like there's, there's all this analysis going into where it went wrong why southgate didn't make subs earlier why you know whatever it is and it's you know should southgate stay in the job and i'm like Lads, we should have been 2-2 with France going into the last 10 minutes and we probably would have nicked it at that point. Like, I, th I think I, you, had, you had the momentum at the very least, although, although there is an argument to say this, that France are the kind of team that don't need momentum to make things happen. Possibly, but like I was very... I was, I, I, as that penalty was being uh, coming about, we were waiting for it to, to be taken. I was like, if this goes in, like I think we'll do it. 
I think we'll, we probably are in a good spot to do this. And if we don't, we don't. But like, yeah, it's just like, if Southgate does go on the back of this, I feel like it's a dangerous moment because I don't know where the next step is. And I think that there's always a, a risk of everything falling apart because what is created, the environment that is created is, is special and the players love it. And they've, they've come in through together, like the three tournaments that they've grown through has meant a lot to them. And, you know, it's probably almost a father figure to some of these players, the way that they've come through under him. And um, he's a very good man manager. And I think that the next person is going to have to try to keep as much of the current setup in that sense as you can, because it's worked. And, but you know, who do you, who do you, honestly do you get? Like, I don't know. I, I, Tuchel, I don't, Pochettino, I don't know the... Eddie Howe, like, Graham think, Potter, like you can't say any of these people. You know, how and Potter aren't going to take the job. And going foreign again is that right? And even if it is, like it's, it's I don't not think a there's any particular that you're problem any with, with doing that because I just think no guarantee that you're going to be any better. No, that's true. But I do think there's an element of you know, and you can look at this and go, okay, who are the two elite managers going into this tournament that you look at from a who's had real success at club level in Europe? And you look at Hansi Flick and Luis Enrique, right? who one yeah. didn't get out of the, the group yeah. and the other one was knocked out, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, admittedly on penalties. But but these are the kind of margins and you we're look rolling at Morocco, And look at where Morocco are. And they've got a new manager just before the tournament's begun. To be so. fair, while Gregory's had plenty of success in, in the African Champions League, I think he won it with Casablanca, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it's not like... A, it, but it's, it's of a household with... name. Like, I sure. But I mean, maybe that's a different... Maybe it is in Morocco, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But alas, right. We, if, if England get a new manager, I'm sure we'll do a podcast on the topic. So we'll come on to the four semi-finals i've spent the entire tournament complaining about the fact that on british tv coverage before every game that didn't have england in it there was those little vts about england i was like i've come here to watch japan against croatia i have not come for to find out what declan rice's favorite flavor of crisps are well, um, <laughs> i saw many i think um, <laughs> but you look at it and think but um, we've just done exactly the same as this podcast. So yeah, we just done the same. Here we are. Here we're just we are. The same. Um, but let's, playing to the numbers. Let's leave England alone and let's talk about these semi-finalists because there's plenty to get through here. Um, there's plenty of really interesting narratives and arcs to talk about. Um, but before we do any of that, I think we may as well rank them. Go through your ranking of them and see how we how we stack them up here. And as, as much of a you know. <laughs> hiding to nothing that this might well be yeah I mean what do you do do you go with the logic do you go with like what should happen what we've seen in the last game it's so difficult to rank these last four based on what we saw from the last eight and how terrible our rankings were but it wasn't just us I saw various uh, outlets giving rankings and they weren't far off what we did because that's what we expected but this is so what upsets four, are about, right? This is this is where they come from. This is what it's about. Like we're in this last four now. Like everyone's as deserving as each other to have got to this stage, no matter how you've got there. But at four, you just have to say Morocco because they're facing the world champions. Um, they're the surprise inclusion at this point. They've also been great. Um, so this me putting Morocco at four is no slight. It's just that like the competition's big here, and you're playing France in a semi final. So. I I still think you've got a chance of beating them, but France have got a better chance of beating you, and that's why you're fourth. Um I like Morocco, what their plan. I like what they do. It, it's not particularly sexy from like a 
a neutral perspective if you like to watch open football, if you like to watch um, teams have a go because Morocco don't even want the ball. They, they don't want it. They're having like, I think they've got a 30% average possession from this tournament, something like that. Um, they're quite happy for you to have it and they will get 10 men behind the ball. They leave up one forward and everybody else works their socks off to make sure you can't get to their goal. And nobody can get to their goal. It's almost impossible. So You can't, you can't lose <laughs> knockout football games if you don't concede goals. And no, Morocco don't concede they goals. They don't concede goals. So I guess it's France on pens if they do beat Morocco. Because if, if they get to pens, I'll be like, I'll probably, probably win it. And then Morocco probably win it. Because oh. this is how it feels. The longer this game gets drawn out, and I'm sure we'll talk about this as a kind of running theme, but... The longer the game gets drawn out, the more that you'd imagine France are going to be like, what's going on? What's happening? Um, and, and you look at these different elements. And, and I think what, what's really interesting from Morocco and is, is not just, yes, of course, they, they do play a, a defensive style, mm. but the explosivity with which they break out of it yeah. when they do get the ball or when they do get those chances to counter is so much fun to watch. And so mm. there've been a lot of kind of unfair comparisons, I think, to, you know, old school Sean Dyche's Burnley, which I've seen thrown around a little bit, which doesn't make any sense to me because there's some players in here and the way that Morocco construct counterattacks, the way that they can overload when they're on those counters is nothing like that. It's nothing mm. like, oh, we'll wait for a set piece and maybe nod one in or, or look for the big man up top. Those aren't the ways that Morocco have constructed attacks. What's been brilliant to see is the likes of Azadi Nunahi, who's obviously been linked with moves left, right, and Charlie as well afterwards, to kind of skip past a player and suddenly open the pitch up, to to draw a player in, to play a little one-two with, with the likes of Hakan Ziyech, to dovetail out there and allow Hakimi to steam forward down that right-hand side. We saw Atia Allah come in in the last game and deputise from Masraoui so beautifully. Um, but I think that the fair point of putting Morocco here is, and the worry is that they are maybe just the walking wounded at this point. Like how much yeah. more have they got in the tank? And as much as all of this, you can see, you know, what it means to them. You can see the kind of camaraderie within this camp, the the fact that they're so capable and so willing to put each other, you know, bodies on the line for each other. Great. But how yeah. much is left in the tank with the world champions next up, who even when England kind of gave them a fright, didn't really look that ruffled, I don't think. Do you know, it's, it's one of those scenes that you're like, oh, France are just annoyingly competent. And, and that's where they're so at. They've so many good players, haven't they? Um, but yeah, you go back through Morocco's tournament and you just look at the results just for like a recap of how they've got to the semi-final. They've beaten Portugal 1-0. They've drawn with Spain 0-0 and won on penalties. They've beaten Canada 2-1 in the group stages in their last match. They beat Belgium 2-0 in their middle group match, which was kind of the game that put him on everyone's radar. And then the first match was, this might end up being the World Cup final, Morocco nil, Croatia. No, no. <laughs> when we were watching that at 10 a.m., you know, and it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a dull one. It wasn't as bad as, as a lot of people made out, but it wasn't the most entertaining game in the world. We didn't think it was going to be the World Cup didn't final. Didn't think anyone would think, well, we're either going to, well, it's very possible that we see that on this weekend, one way or another. And that's madness. It really is. Like I was looking back at this, I was like, oh yeah, I'd forgotten I watched that. Uh, I think I actually turned it off. That, so I didn't really watch it. I think I did. That, <laughs> that was one of the, ones, the early ones I did turn off. But um, yeah, look, it's, 
it's all about gathering belief. As you say, they, they've obviously got injury problems uh, mounting and they've got to try and get as, as many of them through this match as they possibly can, uh, whether it's painkillers or vibes, whatever they can use uh, legally to, to get through that match. But it's important. Um, this is so important to Morocco. Like This is not just about Morocco. This is about half the world supporting them. Like they, They've got unbelievable uh, representation here. Yeah, I mean, at the tournament, sure. But also just they are the underdog that everybody wants to win now. And, you know, obviously you see that a bit where, you know, of every group chat on Saturday night that I'm part of that has loads of England fans going, oh, Morocco, aren't we? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. But generally, I think the whole world is now behind this story. Or at least this is the game. And there was a piece up on The Athletic about this. This is the game that they have the most people supporting them. Because if you paired them against Croatia, right, Croatia are a tiny nation who are doing their own, you know, bit of punching above their weight in terms of population size. There's a fair few people who would have gone for that side of the fairy tale as opposed to this one. If you give it to Argentina, then there's loads and loads of people who are buying into the Messi thing and and then buying into that kind of narrative arc. Great. And you get, you lose supporters that way. France, everyone's like, nah, they won it last time. There's absolutely outside of France. the, The support for France is minimal i would imagine yeah. throughout the globe and that's that's pretty insane yeah i mean if morocco were to go on and win the world cup it, it actually would be insane you you just look back at the history of the tournament brazil have won it five times germany four italy four argentina france and uruguay have won it twice and then england and spain have won it once each so suddenly you're going from like minnows in world f- football to you're in the elite that's a small list that is a small yeah. list. And there's there's, there's some... also ne- there's no real underdogs. Like obviously you can look at the two Uruguay trophies and be like, that's incredible. And it is incredible for their population size, etc. Yeah. But at the time they were leading lights in the world of football. They it's were, not like yeah. they were, you know, this kind of oh, we've come this from wasn't nowhere. An underdog story at the time, though. Exactly. So so there is this element of if you were to do that, you break the glass, you shatter the glass ceiling. Completely. This is unseen. This has never happened. I like mean, it would, it would be unbelievable. Indeed, it would indeed. be. Although, I mean, I'm sure you could say the same for Croatia. Yeah, I mean, look, Croatia. Um, I've I've got to take the next step, and I'll carry on the ranking. And at three, I've got Argentina, hmm. and two are Croatia. And look, the the reasoning here is honestly emotion. Is a lot, a lot of emotion for Argentina wrapped up. In, these, in this tournament and now in this game. And I think it got to them in the Netherlands game. I think they almost shot themselves in the foot and almost gave that game away because there was so much passion and, and it almost seems to overwhelm them. And of course, they're a really, really good football team, but they also have this niggly, converge on nasty side to them. But it they wind people up and sometimes they wind themselves up in the process. And for the Netherlands, they loved it. They loved it. And you've got Valt Weghorst and Luke de Jong who could come on and suddenly the game would turn into a battle. And although there are definitely Argentinians that have the traits to deal with that, Holland at that, Netherlands at that point were very happy to, to play that game because they were losing the football battle. And what I'm just wondering in this fixture... Because there's so little between them, honestly, like at this point, like I, I, I think I feel like a disrespected Croatia massively coming into the, the quarterfinal. And 
I, I regretted it. Like as soon as I started watching the game unfold, I was annoyed at like that I hadn't given them more hope because I forgot like not just the tournament experience that they have, but also the experiences that they've gone through with each other. And this is a, like you say, a small nation. And these players know each other so well and have played at so many different levels and in so many different times that I think it works in their benefit. And they can also stay very level, right? Whereas Argentina, they are so caught up in this moment and the messy moment. And this is this has to happen. And I just, I just wonder if it's all going to prove to be too much. Because ultimately, what we have in Croatia is a set of players that really, really look out for each other. They know how to work for each other. And they haven't had the greatest tournament, but they're in the semifinals. And they've done it with minimal fuss. And I think they will fancy it. I think they'll have been looking at Argentina's games and thinking, do you know what? We are in our... We're into a back-to-back World Cup semi-final. There's not many teams that have ever done this. And we're here to show that, like, yes, we're punching above our weight, but we deserve to be here. And we're, and we're going to let you know. And that midfield battle, that midfield that they've got is going to be, it's going to decide it. I, I'm a bit, the, the one side, I guess, I'd, that goes against my argument to put Argentina third and Croatia second is that in terms of goal power, Croatia don't have a lot. Like, I'm not, I'm not seeing, like, Kramaric is like the ever being like a, a golden boot winner here. Whereas you look through Argentina's squad and even beyond Messi, you've obviously got, got goals throughout that, that could yeah. could step forward. So that's probably the one downfall to my argument here. But as I say, I'm not really pinning this on what they're capable of football-wise. I'm, I'm really wondering about how they can manage this moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to talk about this a li- little bit but with this kind of positives and negatives. And I think that there are, I think it's a double-edged sword in so many ways. And, and the Argentinian emotion is is something that I think can be used for a positive and a negative at, at times. And, and I also think there's an element of Croatia won't rise the way that the Netherlands did. And I don't know if that's necessarily a positive or a negative, because I think actually the Netherlands managed to get under the skin of Argentina to a point. They were, they were, and this was the whole thing about sportsmanship that I spoke about at the weekend. You know, I don't mind that. I don't mind that bit of gamesmanship from the Netherlands who were two nil down and went, you know what, if we can get, get them and wind them up and get them into a place where they're, you know, Leandro Pinares is booting the ball at our bench. And then, yeah. you know, Van Dijk is shoulder charging him to the floor then that's probably a space that we want to be in that they definitely don't or that we yeah. could take advantage of. I think Croatia are cool heads. And actually, we saw this a bit in the Brazil game where, you know, you could see an extra time, even when Brazil were 1-0 up, every decision, the whole Brazil bench off their, off their chairs, you know, running to the side of the pitch, you know, all of it. Croatia, very calm. And, you know, obviously yeah. when they scored, the substitutes ran out. That would be ridiculous <laughs> if they didn't. It was an 118th minute equaliser where it isn't <laughs> in the World Cup. But... You know, there was none of that. It was very like cool, calm, collected. We know what we're good at. We know what we're going to try and do. And yeah. I just wonder if they, their kind of calmness, I think it, there's an element of it that could be an advantage. Also, there's an element of it that actually that maybe will just ease the fire from Argentina a little bit. And actually, yeah, yeah. it won't end up being the game that they expect. I would have these two flipped. I would go by... I mean, you know, obviously, the, most people would. Most no, no, people no, completely, would do that. But I think it's completely reasonable to have them this way around. And Slavin Bilic said it. You know, he was, he was writing a column and he said, I didn't fancy us to beat Brazil, but I fancy us to beat either Argentina or the Netherlands. 
Did and it. you're going, okay, right. You know, and, and that is the confidence in that is genuine. And I think it's a really genuine statement. He's gone, look, we play Brazil five times, we lose four, we win one, fine, no problem. But he's like, I fancy our chances against whoever wins the other quarterfinal. I'll tell you what's interesting too. Like, I mean, you look at results and stuff that there's a high chance that this game is decided on penalties, I would say. And Argentina obviously made it through by beating Netherlands on pens. Um, Emi Martinez obviously being the, the standout for them. But then Croatia have won their last two matches on penalties. And, and they did two in the last World Cup as well, right? They seem to love it. Oh, yeah. They want penalties. They, they want to play for penalties because they're like, we're so good at this. Like, there's no pressure on us in penalties. This is the easiest thing in the world. The hard part is the 90 minutes. The easy part is the kick from 12 yards. And it, it honestly feels like that. So that's another reason because we've seen that steadiness, I guess, of the of the nerves in those big moments. Again, why if they can just stay in it and manage manage this occasion then the further we get, I think I'll fancy him more. Bear in mind, the last time that there was a World Cup, Argentina and Croatia played each other in the group stages. Croatia won 3-0. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, look, it's, it, there is something to be said for the fact that it's a very different Croatia, uh, it's a very different Argentina side. It's a very similar mm. Croatia side in many ways. There's six or yeah. seven players, I think maybe up to a sort of eight or nine in the actual squad, who are very much around that day and a big part of the team. Whereas with Argentina, that number is reduced and a lot of them are now playing bit part roles as well. So mm. y- you look at that and maybe there's not all that much to learn. I think Argentina have completely, you know, Phoenix from the ashes since yeah. that that tournament whereas i think croatia have stayed relatively steady so i don't know if there's there's all that much you can read into it but i think it's something worth noting before we move on to your number one thing <laughs> yeah so number one is france i mean they're the world champions they've made it through to another semi-final um they've managed to get through an england fixture which didn't always go their way but they were ahead twice and they saw it out so even in a fixture whereby we're like, well, England controlled the game. England had bad, you know, we had some decisions going against her. We should have had a free kick for Saka. We should have had this. We should have had that. France are like, yeah, we won. We won. And we've scored a really nice goal from 25 yards, whatever it was. And we've scored an absolute, one of the best goals of the World Cup with one of the best crosses you'll ever see and a Giroud header. And you can't argue with that. Ultimately, that one of the reasons I came away from that game and I, actually wasn't that down I was like well that's the difference like we're playing against the pinnacle of like international football that you could ever expect to face and they've just got the difference makers I mean I have to say like defensively I thought that they were vulnerable I really did feel like they were vulnerable and any time that Saka or Rashford or anyone was was getting it at them or in between the fullback and the centre-back, you felt like they were they were going to give away that pen or they were going to not manage to make the tackle, whatever it was. And so from that point of view, I feel like they could concede. But ultimately, like this is a team that it's, it's just really hard to doubt. And you go back, let's say we'll look back through the history just of this tournament. They fell behind to Australia in the first match, um, 1-4-1. Then they saw off Denmark 2-1. The third game, they, they just threw it and lost 1-0 to Tunisia and put out a different team. But yeah. going through, they played Poland, saw them off 
So, and then they, they've beaten England 2-1. So, this is, obviously, they were most people's favourites alongside Brazil to, to actually win the tournament. They've largely lived up to it. And I think that probably the, the scariest thing is that, like, even on a night, like, say, the England game, when Mbappe doesn't get into the game probably as much as he wants, it ultimately didn't matter because they can rely on Olivier Giroud. They know that Griezmann can step forward. Usman Dembele's there. They've got substitutes too. Like they've they've got strength in depth, like for when they need it, and they they can make changes and, and mix things up. I think they only brought on Coman. I think they made one sub actually in that England game. I think Coman came on for Dembele, if I remember rightly. Um, but even beyond that, like the there's strength in that squad, particularly defensively, to see out a win. Yeah. So if they do start to get nervous and they have managed to only get one goal, they have got options to see it out. And and the last thing I'll say uh, really is, is it's the mentality. And, you know, England don't have and possibly never will have that same winning mentality that, that a team like this has. And obviously Morocco can't have that same mentality because they've never been in a World Cup semi-final. They, they've just had the biggest win in their history to get to the semi-final. And of course, like there's there's some positive in that and there's some... Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no weight of there's history. no expectation or pressure. Yeah, they're, they're, they're playing to, to make history again and to have the greatest day of their lives. Um, but from a France point of view, you were thinking, well, it's Morocco, lads. If we can't beat Morocco, we shouldn't even be here. And and sadly, like that, and that is true. It doesn't mean that it's going to play out like that. Of course it won't. But I just find it almost impossible to believe that France don't actually see out this game and then go on to win it again. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. I think it's a fair point to take. I, I've kind of read this on Twitter, but I can't remember for the life of me where it's from. So I do apologize if you're listening and this is your point, but... So someone say that France remind them of Real Madrid Champions League kind of, uh, kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah, that is good. In that, like, they don't need to play well. They don't That's need... Well, they haven't got Benzema. Yeah, well, they don't need... To, they kind of almost don't need to have any sort of match momentum going in their favour to make things happen. They just yeah. make it happen on a moment. And, you know, whether that be a dead-eye Griezmann cross, whether it be two or many suddenly finding his shooting boots from 30 yards. Now, we haven't seen mm. that all the time. We haven't seen that in ages. We got a tweet from Isaiah to say, I can't remember when or what podcast it was, but you all once said that every time two or many lined up for a long distance shot, it went over the bar or off target. <laughs> Boom. Hey, I was so annoyed. <laughs> and then my mates turned around to me and they were like, you've seen this guy play quite a few times. Does he do that? Like, no, no. <laughs> do you remember he scored normal. a load of goals for Monaco, and we were all like, "He can't keep doing this because he skies so many yeah. shots. Like, occasionally, some of them are bound to go in." And he did it. <laughs> I did it for Real Madrid once, I believe. And then you were like, "Oh, he's just done it there, is he?" Yeah, cool. He's just popped up with that moment in the it middle like of a World Pogba Cup. It was like Pogba had come final. on for a couple of minutes. It was like Pogba was like suddenly back fit again and come on and just like taking it in his stride and was running off again and just been stepped in for one moment and, and uh, more often the chew of money. But yeah, you're right. It, it is those those little things. And it seems like luck that he's had a pot shot from 25 yards. But is it or is it just the difference between a very good player and an excellent player? That's the thing. I'm not sure how much luck there is in it. So that's... That's something to take into account here. Like Morocco, 
have got to enjoy this game. They've they've got to enjoy the occasion. Like the fans, however however hard it is, and like if you're used to not seeing the ball, you're certainly not going to be seeing it much of it. Like they might even get twenty percent possession in this game, right? Like we could be looking at France having eighty percent of the ball in this game. Yeah, and against most teams, you might be able to see it out. I mean. I can't see how you can give France 80% of the ball and they don't score a goal. I don't see how that's possible. That This is going to have to be the best performance. That They've got to pull this off to an absolute team, Morocco, in order for it to come off. And if they do, then absolutely fair play. But it's it feels like it almost be a miracle. Yes, agreed. Agreed. But then I'm sure there were plenty of people saying that before Spain and then before Portugal as well. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it does true, feel yeah, like yeah. a step up again. Um, right. After the break, we're going to have a quick run through some positives and negatives for each team ahead of these clashes that go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. Jack Collins here with Dean Jones. And we're going to put off some positives and negatives, Dean. What I'm going to do is I'm going to run you through both the teams of a bracket. So I'll, I'll run through Argentina and Croatia's positives and negatives because they feed into each other a bit. And then we'll have a discussion yeah. about it. And then we'll roll on to France and Morocco. So what I've got for Argentina, I think you, you look at three positives you look at the form that Lionel Messi is in, which is you know one of those kind of things that talks for itself in so many ways. But I think the other thing is that the buy-in from his teammates has been exceptional. Uh, players willing to sacrifice themselves in order to let Messi kind of hit this final form in so many ways. So he can just mm. pick up the ball and go. And then look, we've been seeing it for a little while, but I think that the the element that he feels within in this national team form is kind of like, wow, this is pure messy. The, the, even the arguments we're seeing after games and, you know, him putting up the, the donkey ears at the, the bench yeah. of the Netherlands. I'm like, you've just never seen that in club Messi. It's never, it's never no. been there. The kind of fire in the belly in so many ways. And I suppose that's that's part of it. But I, I think secondly, Argentina have grown into this World Cup. They've improved game by game. I think the Saudi game, in, in so many ways, it kind of knocked the winning run off a little bit. And that was a, maybe a good thing. Now, obviously, it wouldn't have been a good thing if they'd gone out in the group stages. So this is easy to say with hindsight. But I think it just kind of refocused them a little bit. And I think game by game from then, it kind of shook them and they've had to rebuild the foundations. And like as mm. they've gone through the tournament, they've got better and better. We've seen these changes of formations in order to suit different players. They've coped with the loss of Angel Di Maria. Um, now he's back as well, which is which is going to be very interesting to see how that works. Um, and it's going to be really intriguing to see if they can kick on again here against this Croatia team. And, and then you mentioned it earlier, but there is this overriding emotional sense that flies with them, right? It feels like they've got this true sense of narrative purpose, you know, like almost like heaven sent moment to be to be given to them, pushed onwards by the wings of fate. Um, and, and that's yeah. where we're kind of at with them. But on the flip side, that emotion can still be a king, a killer. And you, you talked about it, but there's a sense of losing control that's occurred in some of these games, not just in the Netherlands game where it all boiled over, but, you know, you get to the end of that, uh, the Australia game and yes, it's an absolutely horrendous deflection, sure. But then there's that kind of panicked end to the game where you're like, whoa, you were in complete control five minutes ago. Where's where's that come from? Yeah. And I still think there are question marks over this defensive unit. Um, you know, who steps up in the breach and how they play now. Do they stick in the five or do they go back to the four in order to accommodate Di Maria or do you use them off the bench if you need him? How does that work? And you flip it to Croatia and theirs is the opposite. They're 
positive is that absolute emotional control, the absolute self-belief. They've been there before and they will fear nobody after knocking out number one seed and favourites, Brazil. You know, they'll go look mm. at that and be like, well, no one else that will play will be as good as this Brazil side. And we've just beaten them. So yeah. it, we, we're literally at that point. I mean, the midfield three remains the best in this tournament. They have balance, control, penetration. They have it in spades and in depth, I think, which is interesting because you've seen Kovacic go off. We've seen Modric go off in games. I think Lovro Maia's done really well when he's come on. We've seen Pasalic playing as kind of a, a right winger, which I think is really interesting because I think he might play again there and drop into the middle in order that Brozovic can basically shadow Messi um, mm. and see how that kind of tactical battle plays out. Yeah. And their penalty and extra time record is sublime. The longer the game goes on for, the more they'll feel they can win it. But there are still yeah. major questions over the attack. Petkovic got that deflected equaliser against Brazil, but the quality is, I think, still a touch lacking up there. And yeah. for me, and maybe this is the big discussion point, Argentina's midfield is also good. It has also grown into this tournament. We've seen Enzo, Alexis and uh, Rodrigo de Paul really start to develop an understanding. You know, the have they got the energy and legs to compete in the middle? And if that happens and Argentina can match Croatia in the middle of the park, if not in terms of technical level, but in terms of energy, in terms of making things happen, in terms of breaking play up, are then Croatia overmatched by the rest of the Argentina team? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I do wonder about the experience of the midfields and how that, if Croatia's are just able to manage that battle better because they've just been there so many times at club and country level. Whereas Argentina, like these this um, selection that they've got in midfield, they, they haven't got that in, in the tank. But then, you know, from Argentina's point of view too, you talk about defensively, can they handle it? Well, Croatia don't have many shots. Yeah, I think they had true. one. Did they have one shot on target against one Brazil? One shot on target. Um, and it went in. I rem- <laughs> yeah. Um, even the Japan game, just trying to think back to that. See, I don't remember them doing, they had four shots and targeting that. They, they don't offer a lot. And I just feel like that's one thing that does go Argentina's way. Um, because as I said before, there's no obvious, like scary goal threat from Croatia. Um there's but no there Mario is this, Mandzukic, is there? And there's no the Mandzukic. There's no Mandzukic. There's no Davos Suka. There's no Davos Suka's left foot. And um, what we've got here is, again, to be honest, I think they'll probably manage it similar to Brazil too in terms of playing on that emotion. Because with the Brazil thing, there's the fact that Pelé's ill. There's the fact that like this was... You know, the, the Pele banners inside that stadium. It felt like it, Neymar's last chance to a point, didn't it? He yeah, might play so next like, time. but And I know you and Sam discussed this on the pod the other week, but he might also just not. He might just decide not to do that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't blame him if he walked away. So you had the emotion historically off the pitch of let's do it for Pele. And then you also had on the pitch Neymar with his all the conflicts on and off the pitch that involves him of like he's still the main man but a lot of us don't really like him. But come on, mate, we do actually really need you to do this because yeah. nobody else is. Um, and that works in Croatia's favour because they don't have that pent-up anxiety of letting people down, maybe. They're, they're just there to do their jobs and deliver what they can. And I think that's a really good place to be in. And you know, as, as an England fan, I know more than 
most countries what that expectation and pressure feels like. And it's horrible because the more tournaments that you go through, the more failures that you have, the more difficult it becomes. And Argentina have had a lot of it too. So they'll be looking to to make up for, for recent years and, as I say, do this for Messi. So it's so close, this game. Like Tuesday's one is, is so fascinating. Yeah, and obviously it's the first the first semi-final as well. So whoever yeah. wins it will know before we get into that France-Morocco game. But let's get into it now. Um, France, well, they're the best team on paper still in this tournament, aren't they? They remain relatively unruffled, even with the England scare that we mentioned in, in part one. Mm-hmm. Griezmann and Mbappe in particular, I think, playing gloriously. Even when Mbappe was shut down in this game, there were still moments where you're like, oh, okay, cool. And, and those kind of drifting movements, those moments of magic, unplayable at times. I, I think Griezmann's been absolutely sensational in this tournament. Um, and, and, and right now, you'd imagine that Mbappe is probably on course that if France won it, he would win the golden ball. But I think that would maybe be doing a disservice to Anton Griezmann, who I think has yeah. been their best player in this tournament across mm. the course of it as, as a kind of a co- cohesive whole. Um, and I think, and this might be the key, there's so much of France's attacking game is based down the flanks, which is where Morocco have tried to funnel Spain and Portugal, who don't like that, right? Spain didn't want to play down those wings. They wanted those wingers cutting inside off the flanks and making things happen in the middle. Morocco went, no, 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 we're just going to let you do that. It's fine. You can just mm. go down there. Portugal didn't play with wingers. Joao Felix kept drifting outwards. They kept trying to play diagonals out there. They kept trying to get the fullbacks forward. And Morocco were like, all right. Fine. You know, Ziek will drop in, make sure that your fullback doesn't have a, a run on goal. And then, you know, Hakimi can kind of just track Jao Felix wherever he goes. And, and that's kind of fine. Whereas I think yeah. if they try and do that to France, they're in a bit of trouble because of the overloads that France can kind of make happen Maybe. down those sides. Mm. Um, but, you know, that said, for France, there are still question marks in defending from both the fullbacks and Upamecano if he plays anything like he did against England. If anyone can exploit that, it feels like Ziyech and Buffal are good, you know, players one-on-one in order to get in behind their fullbacks. And Siri is starting to grow into this as that kind of all-round number nine who can make yeah. things happen. And England opened them up, I thought, by breaking the lines in the middle. And the player who I think has been sensational at doing that about this tournament, you know, Declan Rice did it for England and just kind of skipped past a man and suddenly those passing lanes opened up. Morocco have Azadine Unahi, who I think is is very, very good at this. You know, he'll just play a little one-two and get himself into that yard of space or he'll shimmy past a player and suddenly everyone's, you know, open in front of him. I just wonder if he could do that again as he did against Portugal. Flipping it to Morocco, mm-hmm. though, you know, if you don't seek, if you don't concede goals, it's almost impossible to lose knockout football games. And Morocco mm-hmm. do not concede goals. Um, no opposition player has scored against Morocco in this tournament, or actually in Walid Regragi's reign. Full stop. Which is pretty <laughs> nuts, frankly. Um, they're underdogs, and France will be expected to come out and play, which I think will suit the way that Morocco want the game to kind of carry out. Um, mm. And I think that Zeke and Buffal could have a field day against the France ball fullbacks if they can isolate them one-on-one. Um, but on the flip, France's overloads wide have been crucial and Morocco felt more comfortable defending that central area. And also this big question over the walking wounded, right? Can Saiz play? Can Aguerd play? Can Masraoui play? Because this could be a ma- makeshift back line that has only one of the four players that started the tournament yeah. in the back four in a semi-final. And if that's the case, as much as they were very very impressive against Portugal how long can that kind of temporary guard hold yeah I mean that is the biggest factor really for them isn't it like how many of them can they get fit for this game Um, they haven't had that long to turn around and 
and focus on it. it a couple of months sounding great. Um, they left Hakimi, so that's handy because he knows about a bit about Mbappe. So he should he should be that's relatively gonna be fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that that should be a decent battle. Um, we've just seen Carl Walker face him, and there was a lot of pressure on that one. And now Hakimi should be even better equipped. It's quite to, nice. To deal so with they're this. they're like genuinely best pals. And Hakimi yeah, texted are, Hakimi tweeted uh, straight after the game, like pretty much straight after the quarterfinal, being like. See you soon, Achille Mbappe. I was like, that's bold. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. Like that, you know, as an underdog, you you need to have a bit of that. You know, you he's like, you didn't expect to see me now, did you, mate? And I don't think Mbappe will particularly look forward to it, really. I don't think he'll want that battle. I don't think he'll want somebody knowing if anyone's all the ins and outs of his Walker. game. Yeah, exactly. Like not only does Hakimi know his game, he's so quick. He's so quick. It's probably his biggest trait, his best trait. The other trait. question is, if he can get forward, are they going to overload France down that flank? Because Mbappe, you know, as much as he is absolutely brilliant, and I don't expect him to, you know, have a, a, an industrious defensive work rate in the same way that I wouldn't expect Messi to, you know, suddenly Rabiot has been dragged over there to try and sort things mm-hmm. out. And there's got two on two on two in terms of Hakimi and Ziyech against Teo Hernandez and Adrian Rabiot. I know who I'd fancy to be winning that duel. Yeah, I, I mean, Teo, I'm, I've not been that impressed with him at this tournament. Uh, I'm a big fan of his and, and it's, it's just not, um, nothing's really gone his way so far. And, you know, from an England point of view, like I was encouraging us to just, just get down there as at any time you possibly could and then cut inside and, and see what errors you could force because they, they didn't like it. So Morocco would um, have identified that. I'm interested to know if they could make the most of any set pieces too. Um, you know, France, they are a big team. So I, I think that, that, you know, they, they're, I say big team. They're good aerially, anyway. Um, they've they've certainly got enough there to you'd think deal with it. But I just wonder if Morocco were working especially hard on perhaps a couple of routines because we saw, particularly in the early stages of this World Cup, that it was going to be an asset of theirs. They were scored. What game was it? They, scored they, well, they had one disallowed against, out. Yeah. against Belgium, and then Belgium, they scored again in the second. And then they half, scored the again. Thing. Yeah, so that and that was you know a lot was being made of it at that time, and um, you know the same noise isn't around that, but it's it's clearly something that they focused on in a in a big match like that against Belgium, where they they knew that those those small margins would make such a big difference, and I think now that that that's what they have to look at. Like, okay, we know we can stay in the game, we know that we can hang we can with keep this almost, team yeah. at bay, and we can we've shown that we can yeah we can compete with the big guns. But how do we actually beat them? What's going to be our difference maker? And it's probably something like that. Like that's pro- it's either a moment from of magic from Aziek who can carve open an opportunity or score one, or you get a set piece in a good moment and you've got a plan that you can pull off. I just think that I, I think their their moment is going to be like a transition play. They played out of Portugal's press really well. If they could do the same to France, we've seen this team open up. Really, really nicely. And and if that can happen again, they will get those overloads and there are players here that can hurt France. I reckon that's going to be the the weapon, if you will, mm. that they're going to look to try and utilise. And again, they'll grow into halves and grow into games. You know, it was it was that point where obviously they scored right before half time in the Portugal game, but about 30 minutes, you're like, ah, oh, Morocco have started to play. They've started to really play as well. They've started yeah. to feel comfortable on the ball. And I think we'll see something very similar. They'll tuck in to begin with and they'll grow, let themselves grow into the game. And it's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah. They didn't you tip. So what did you say in the, before the tournament about Morocco? I said they'd win had, the group. 
You've had some bad takes, but yeah. Morocco was a good one. Well, it was I appreciate a very good them. One. Them and um, they are saving both my takes and Semioletto's. So in, in that regard, I'll take some. <laughs> You're some very similar men, aren't you? So it makes a lot of sense. I, yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim to be, you know, a tenth of the man that Samueletto is, <laughs> the great man himself. So uh, credit where credit is due. But yes, uh, they've done a, a lot to, they've done a lot to rescue some of my wilder predictions from the start of the World Cup. I'll give it that um, as a as a thank you to. Well, Giroud was my wildest one. I think I, got, I took him as golden boot winner before the tournament before Benzema was injured um, I got him at 100 to 1 for the golden boot so still alive I don't think it's going to happen but that's a nice bet to have alive at this stage of the tournament so can't, uh, can't the end of the it, world mate. when he scored when he no, scored exactly. against England it wasn't the total end of the world exactly. only a couple of hundred quid can't, can't <laughs> knock it until you've tried it uh, and on that bombshell I think we're going to call it a day here on Ranks FC uh, all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much to you all for listening Thank you so much to our transfer group, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Enjoy the games. I will enjoy the games. Thank you. I've been Jack Collins, Knave of Hearts. We will be back on Thursday at some point uh, to preview the World Cup final and probably a little bit on that bronze medal match as well, but mostly the World Cup final. So we will see you later in the week, gang. Take it easy. Take it easy.